This morning, we're starting a new sermon series together. Aren't you excited about that? And uh, I actually um, picked a book with one more chapter than the book of James, so you kind of already know what we're getting into together. Um, I know that Arla counted and said we spent 19 Sundays in the book of James, and I would say that that's pretty close to what we're going to be doing in Ephesians. If you are too um, uninterested to keep track, I'm sure Arla can let you know by the end of the study exactly how many weeks that we were in the book of Ephesians together. But I'm excited to share um, what many believe is the last letter that was written to any of the churches um, during the New Testament time of the Apostle Paul. It's interesting as I study this week to learn that um, you know most of Paul's writings were written to a specific church for a specific reason. There was backbiting. There was a lack of love for Jesus. You think of the letters in Revelation, and there were specific problems. But if you look at the book of Ephesians, he doesn't address one particular problem, you know, outwardly. This was a letter that many scholars believe were written to many of the churches in the area that Paul pastored. And Ephesians was just one of the letters, one of the churches that received the letters. And so if you ever get into a conversation that says Ephesians wasn't really written to the Ephesians, uh, the truth of the matter is it was received by the church as a letter that was probably circulated to many of the churches in the area, including the church at Ephesus. And so it's interesting for me to realize that where many of Paul's writings were for one church with specific problems that ultimately needs to fit the context of that body. This letter was to be received by all the churches, both then and now, as God's message and God's word for you and I as we walk this journey of life together. So before we do any more introduction, I do want to read the first three verses of this chapter together from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. I'll be reading from the New International Version today, where Paul says, I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise for spiritual blessings in Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How many letters have you received that began that way? bless you, and may God's peace be with you. And he even calls them saints in the Lord and, 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 and just, just launches out into this beginning idea of forming our identity as followers of God. And you've gotten the email, right, that said, what do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are? What are you about? What are we going to do to fix this? And Paul just comes at these folks with, friends, I'm the servant of the Lord I see you as God's faithful people in this place, grace to you and peace to you. And do you know what? God has blessed you with every blessing possible. Man, I want an email like that this week. That just sounds great. Paul starts out this letter by, and he spends a lot of his writings talking about who we are as the church, who you and I are as believers. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to begin really just introduce this concept of kind of reinventing or reimagining or if we need to, re-looking at, revisiting who we are. Who are you this morning? How do, and how do you answer that question? Because we can have it asked a lot of different ways. We can say, what's your name? And that is part of your identity. You can have someone come up to you and say, who do you think you are? 
And the way you answer that is formed by the kind of person that you are inside and really who you are at the core of your spirit and soul. But Paul talks many, many times about our identity. It is one of the the premier themes throughout all of his writings. And, And he does it through this phrase that is short and it's simple, but it's so powerful. Depending on the version of the Bible that you study, up to or even maybe a little more than 75 times, Paul refers to us in this phrase of being in Christ. He doesn't identify the believer because of their good works. He doesn't identify the believer because of what church they go to or how long they've been a Christian or how loud they sing or how quietly they worship. He doesn't identify the church by any of those things. Our identity comes by being in Christ. And when we're in Christ, then we're going to share in the next number of weeks together what that looks like. What does it mean to be in Christ and how does God move upon our hearts and our lives as we live a life in Christ. I read a story this week. It occurred during the Great Depression, and there was a man by the, by the name of Mr. Yates, and he lived on a sheep ranch in West Texas. And this part of the area was really poor, and he, he bought the property on a mortgage, really thinking that his, his farm would take off and he'd be able to pay his bills. But shortly, Texas seems like all the time when I look at the weather, and He couldn't make his bills. And so the government came in and subsidized his lack of able to produce a crop, and the government was paying his bills for him. And then one day, a seismologist came by, and they wanted to do a test of his ground for natural resources. And they found 1,125 feet down, a huge oil reserve that at opening produced 80,000 barrels a day. And 30 years later, the government estimates one of the wells can still give 125,000 barrels of oil a day. And this pool oil reserve is known as Yates Pool. As soon as he bought the land, as soon as it came under the title of his name, everything under the ground belonged to him. And for years and years and years, he lived with no knowledge of all of, these, all of this wealth, all of this provision, all of this Supply from God that was right there beneath his feet. And overnight, he became a multimillionaire. Yet for years, he lived with no knowledge of the blessings that were right there beneath his feet. And I think, as I read, especially the book of Ephesians, but a lot of Paul's writings is he thinks that for some believers, we live the same way. We live in Christ. We say by grace. We claim to be a part of his church and we say we live in the Lord's name. And for many of us, we forget that opening verse 3 that says, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. That's a lot of blessings, isn't it? If it, God says every blessing, then he didn't leave anything out. Everything that we need as believers, as children of God, as people living in this world, God has already provided for us. It's all already been taken care of. It's like Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And yet in the figurative sense, we can be like Mr. Yates, walking around for years with all these blessings available for us in Christ. And yet they, we miss them. And so this morning, I just want us to start out this sermon series as we are thinking about our identity. Who are we? 
And how do we form our identity? We live in a culture that is, in many ways, facing an identity crisis like no tomorrow. I know that the Methodist Church has spent the last few days discovering who they are and who they're going to be. And in our world today, our identity is shaped by, by what things? What are some of the things that our, our culture tells us shapes who we are? Our job, our career shapes who we are. What happens when we lose our job? We, we, well, yeah, we're unemployed, but what happens to our identity? I was the man who was providing for the family and paying the bills, and now I'm not able to, and what does that do? It, it just wipes away everything that you thought you were. What is another way that we determine our identity by our culture? By the kind of car we drive. That's right. You, if you see someone with a BMW drive by, you know you just got passed by somebody, right? By the clothing that you wear. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so family status and family size? What's that? I don't even know what to say to that one. <laughs> All I got to say is happy wife, happy life. And beyond that, we can talk after church if we need to. <laughs> but your family does have a lot to do with it. You can um, get married, and you can put your identity into this new family, and you quickly can turn away from the intimacy that you had with God and make your family your main priority and leave Jesus somewhere behind. So there is, there is a lot of truth. Anyone else? Okay, so the, the way you spend your money, the amount of time you can get away, and if you can't, what does that make you feel about yourself? How do others perceive you? Very good. Where you go to school? Your education? You know, I had notes written down and I deleted them and then there they creep up again. Did you, did I accidentally email you something that I shouldn't have? Sports can identify us. Big time, you know, um, since you brought it up, Frank, you walked in the first Sunday and you had a Washington State Cougar fan and you identified yourself as the enemy right then and there. And, you know, so we, you know, that both is a sporting thing, that's a clothing thing, it's an attitude thing, and we're praying for you that the Lord works on you on that. But there's a lot of different ways, though, that, that our culture helps us define for ourselves who we are. And if we don't have the kind of car that we think we should have, if we don't have the kind of job that we think that we should have, or we don't have a job at all, if we don't have the kind of clothes, we don't have the kind of makeup, if we don't have the kind of relationship, and we could go down the list of the ways that you and I here just bombard us all the time with the ways that our world tries to shape the way we form a picture of who we are in the world that we live in. And I'm telling you that for most of us, we're listening to the wrong voices. We're listening to the voices that can't get it right, that rarely ever get it right in their marriage, in their business dealings. You just search some of many of the stars that we know of today and, and how many times they've failed to live up to their own image that they've tried to create. Um, many of you know Mr. Moffat got up there and, and uh, you know, said he was a victim of a hate crime, and now it's come out that he created all of this in order to affect his image. And we make decisions all the time about who people perceive us to be so that we can be seen in a certain kind of light. And Paul says to the saints, 
to the church that God has a different way. And so this morning, I just want to take a few minutes as we kind of introduce everything to, to think of a few ways that, that we do that. How does God speak to us about our identity and what, is it, what does he say about it? And it's not on the screen, but the first thing that would be really good for us to ask is, is we've kind of already answered the question of, of what our world says about us. Your status comes by what you can have or get or possess or wear or look like. But what does the Bible say about who we are? And in Genesis chapter 1, God is very clear about his plans for humanity. If you want to know what God says about something, I would always encourage you to go back to the beginning. That idea of going back to the beginning and finding where God first mentioned something, because I don't remember too many times in the Bible where God changed his mind about a whole lot of things. And it says in Genesis God said, the Trinity, really said to each other, let us make man, do you remember the phrase that came after that? In our image. As we turn our ears and our hearts to the word of God this morning to, to kind of follow along the path of the scriptures in this study, we go back to the beginning and God designed us to look like him. And you look at the person next to you and think, <laughs> What went wrong? It's okay, you can laugh, it's all right. Again, our world looks on the outward. Where does God look? On the heart. He designed our nature to be like his. And that's the language identification that God began the conversation with mankind within their own realm of conversation. Let's make someone who reflects our image. Let's make someone who, when the world looks at them, they see me. When the world watches the way they talk and the way they walk, they're reminded of the Trinity. That's who we are made to be. That's the image that God has designed us to, to live into and to move into as we follow the footsteps that he's given to us. So Paul talks about this phrase to be in Christ God says that my goal for you, the reason I've created you, is so that you would be reflectors of me. We're going to talk more about that in a few minutes. And so there are really, and you already have been looking at one of them for a few minutes, four ideas that we want to just begin with to introduce the book of Ephesians and this idea of finding our true identity in Christ. And one of them is, is that we are revelation receivers, it's what you've hopefully been doing this morning since we've been at church together. It really should be a practice that you and I are involved in a lot of times, but it is, it is this idea that, that our world says that we can make our own identity. Or we can do things or accomplish things or buy things or have things and create the image that other people will see of us and form on our mind the opinion of what we have about ourselves. But when the scriptures talk about God doing something in us, it is something that in many ways we submit to. God never forces himself on us, does he? When was the last time God forced you to feel his love for you? Maybe in a song he called out to you. We talked last Sunday about how he woos us and he speaks to us and he invites us into a loving relationship, but he doesn't force his love upon us. He calls out to us, he cries out to us, from his heart to ours so that we would know and be convinced of the truth of his love down deep inside of us. 
But ultimately, we have to make a decision in our own hearts and minds. Are we going to listen to the message of the world, or are we going to listen to the message of the Word? Because we could spend the next number of weeks together studying what the Bible says about who we are in Christ. What Paul particularly wants to teach the church, you and I, about what living in Christ would look like. But if we're too busy listening to the world, then we're not going to get the message of the word anchored deep into our soul. And so my challenge for you this week, one of my challenges for you, is to get on the internet, look in your Bibles, if you have a concordance, do this, and look for all the times that, that and almost all of the mentions of them are by Paul, the, what the Bible says about being in Christ. Look at all of the references surrounding that phrase, in Christ. And then that's your, that's your homework for the next number of weeks. Maybe if you did three a week. You have to do more than that. 15, maybe if you did five a week, we might make it through by the time we get done with this study. So if you looked up five a week, and, and most of them are in Corinthians, Ephesians has a lot, Philippians has a lot, most of them, almost 95% of them are, are, are written by Paul. Romans also has a lot of those, if you believe Paul wrote the book of Romans, which, which most of us do this morning. But there, there is this beginning agreement that we have to come to. That when we talk about finding our true identity, it is not buying a more expensive car or getting better clothes or getting a job or a better job. It is about understanding what God wants to share to us from his word. And in order to do that, we have to be receivers of the revelation that he has provided for us in Christ and in the word as we study this together. And so in a world today that is trying to define us by, our, by the decisions we make about our sexuality, have you noticed how today is now that we are not formed by, by God's standards for us, but what we decide about one area of our life? And we're reinventing the way we see reality by one part of a decision that we make instead of the whole of God's revelation for you and I. And we could go down the list of decisions that we make, the way we pray or the way we talk or the kind of people that we are around. So we need to be humbly receiving the word that God has given to us. Another thing that the Bible talks about is that we are humbly honored by him. And I'm going to go back again to the story of Revelation because God, God kind of points us out above all his other creative beings or acts. And he says about everything that it's good. And so when you look at that person next to you that you kind of chuckled at a moment ago, God looked at them and said, oh, they're all right, they're great just the way that they are. Just remind them of that from time to time. They need to hear it. But he made the stars and the, and the sun and the moon and the mountains and the animals and the birds and the fish of the sea and, and all these amazing creations that God has made. And, and how many times have you just driven to the beach and rolled down the windows or gone and sat on a log and just, just in your heart maybe, if you're not out loud, just said, wow. I can't wait until I get to go back to the beach to say exactly that. A force that I cannot alter in any way. The most I could do is get a really big rock and drop it into the water, and one second later, you'd never known it was even there. There's not a force on this earth that you and I can stop that God has made. And yet, despite all of the incredible creations that he has made, we are his number two. 
we were given dominion over every living thing on the earth. And that has not changed from creation's moment until now. I'm so grateful that we live in a world today that is in a Christian world that is trying to be more responsible with the things that God has given us and to be better caretakers of the creation that God has made. But when it comes down to the end of it, we make the decision because God has given us that power. And he loves us so much that he's given us this power over every creation on this earth that moves. Yet this humble responsibility to come to him for direction. It's interesting when you think of the first temptation in the Garden of Eden. God had already given the directions that Adam and Eve needed, right? I want you to be fruitful and multiply, and they're saying, thank you, Lord. I want you to tend to the garden, and they're saying, thank you, Lord, for work. I'm going to feed you. Thank you, Lord, for that. And there's one thing that you can't do, and there seemed to be no disagreement with that. So God had made us to be receptors of his revelation, to listen to his directions and, the, and, and his commands and follow them, and said, I'm going to take care of everything else. Your identity as children is to just follow my direction. And then Satan comes along and he, and, and he says, did God really say that? And up until that moment, Adam and Eve had been willing to just humbly receive God's word, humbly receive God's direction. And, and they, they formed their identity of who they were in God alone. My favorite song is in Christ alone. We find our hope and our strength in him. And from the beginning, it's the way God designed us to be those humbly honored creatures just beneath him, made to shine in his image to be a ruler over all created beings on this earth, yet to be under him in every way. There are religions out there today that are trying to make us into our own gods. There is within secular humanism this idea that we are our own beacon of truth, and no one else can tell us what to believe or what is right but us. And I've talked to kids, mostly younger people these days, under 30 years old, who really are stuck on this, and they'll just say, your truth is your truth, and my truth is mine, and we're all okay. And that has never been something that made God particularly happy to hear, because he said, Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And so we are made to receive his revelation. We're made to humbly bow before him and surrender to his will and to his way. And thirdly, this morning, as we think about the way God has designed us to be, that we are made to be mirrors of his image. And we kind of hinted at that already. God is number one, we're number two, and when people sees number two, he wants them to think about number one. How many of you got up this morning and looked in the mirror? Oh, come on, what the rest of you just get out of bed and come straight here? I'm not going to name any names. It might be a good idea for a couple of the rest of you to, to check out that mirror. It's probably why you have it there. Of course, for the identity crisis, you spent too much time in front of the mirror, and you need to just say, thank you, Lord, for what you've made, and we're going to go out and live this day for you. But the Bible says that we want to be made in his image. In other words, when people look at you, and look at me, they see him. 
Now, I had Levi come up to me the other day, and he wanted to buy something in order to look cool like somebody else. And I have no idea how much this thing cost, but by the name of it, uh, it was going to be a lot of money. And I just told him, I was like, you know, the kids at school are going to be much more concerned about the way that you interact with them than the kind of clothes that you wear. And our identity does not come by all the things on the outward, but by the internal likeness that we have to God. And this, is, this was kind of hard for me to chew on this week because I agree with Paul that as a believer, my identity is in Christ. I have no argument with that, and, and I'm excited to learn together as we journey through this what that looks like and all the different ways that being in Christ affects the way that we live. But the scary part of that is, is that going back to the beginning, God's plan was in order for people to see the identity of God. Think about that one for a minute. He wants them to look at you and me. Because we're made in his image. We're the reflection of who he is. And I think this is at the heart of what Paul is really trying to write to the, to the church at Ephesus, but as I said, I think it was meant to many. Interesting to look at scholars' interpretation of the different um, prison epistles of Paul. There was always a reason why he wrote a letter. It was because of this problem or that thing in the church or, or this issue they needed to deal with. And, and Ephesians is just one of those things that there's so much, and it's so rich, and, and it was exciting for me to, to look at other minds who have studied the Scriptures for longer than I've been alive come to this general consensus that one of the main things Paul wanted the church to know is what it looks like to be a believer. What it looks like to claim the name of Jesus and how that comes out in the way that we live our lives and his desire for us as a church to be the reflection of who God is. Because if people can't look at us and see God, where are they going to look? If your family can't look at you and see the Holy Spirit, Friends, where are they going to look? If the world can't come to First Friends Church and see the reflection of God's love, then where are they going to go? Amazing responsibility that we have in the life that we've been called to live to be image bearers of the King. That's your identity, friends. Straight from the Scriptures. From the very beginning, it was God's plan that others would see Christ in you. Now, are you going to be a perfect reflection? Can we just get that one solved so no one goes home defeated? You looked in the mirror this morning. Did you see any flaws? Yep. We, I don't remember who we were with the other day. And Oh, it was my, my grandma and grandpa. The boys and I went to Yamhill and had lunch with them. And Levi took one look at grandpa and said, I think you lost some hair since the last time we saw you. And thankfully, Grandpa's hearing is bad, and he didn't even know what was said. He just said, yep. (laughs) And it might be that a few pounds were put on, or the makeup just didn't go on right, or you didn't have enough. I mean, it could be anything. And in conversations, do we always say the right thing in the right way at the right time? We don't. Do we always make the right choice in finances? No, we don't. Do we always come at a problem with the right demeanor. No, we don't always do that. And thankfully, God is gracious to us and merciful and beyond compassionate and understanding. Yet still, he calls to us to live a life in Christ, 
to be a, a believer who follows the image of the one who created us. And I wonder this morning what it might look like for the church if we woke up every morning instead of saying, what do I look like? We asked ourselves, what does he look like? And how does he want to reflect that image through me? And, and through that, we get to the last idea this morning of that we are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. Now, I know that when we get defeated and discouraged, we don't know if we have a purpose. We don't know if there's a plan for our life. We don't know what tomorrow holds. But the fact of the matter is that Paul says that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. And he's writing this to a church that was involved in ministry so that they would understand that they, are, they have already been provided everything that they need to bear the image of God in the world that they live in. And I hope that's a good thing for you to hear. Because sometimes in my Christian life, when I hear a pastor say, God's already provided everything you need, my first thought is, then why don't I have it? <laughs> that's a good question, isn't it? It's an honest question, and it's a hard question to know the answer to, because Paul says that God has already provided every spiritual blessing that you could ever need in Christ. He didn't forget something. He didn't put something on hold. There's no back order on blessings. It's already there. I read one commentator was like, man, that's really good to know that God has already done everything that I need in the spiritual realm, but it'd sure be nice if he provided some more material blessings. And a lot of us could say, wouldn't that be nice? But Paul isn't writing about that. Paul is saying that your true worth, your true identity, the true picture of happiness and purpose in your life is not found in things and stuff. It's found in him, in Christ alone, living a life of commitment to him in every way. And so Paul says, God has blessed you in every way so that others could know how much he loves you. I was, I was kind of saddened this morning when Linda asked for us to share our joys, and, and uh, I guess we are just really quiet bunch today. God has provided, okay, Mr. Yates, hundreds of millions of dollars of oil right underneath his feet, and he had no idea. Scripture says through Paul's writings that every kind of blessing that you could ever need in the spiritual realms has already been provided for you. And I thought about this week in my own life, and I was like, Lord, I've missed so much as your child. There are so many things that, I, that are there for me in Christ, and I'm too busy, or I'm too distracted, or I'm too stubborn, or whatever you, want to, whatever you see in the spiritual mirror of your life, that I'm missing those things that are right there in Christ. I want to try harder. I want to do better. I want to be stronger, and yet... Paul just simply comes to invite us into his presence. Because for too many of us, we live in a world that has fallen into this idea of if we can perform, then we'll be somebody. If we can put on a show, then we've arrived. If people can know us and know that we're coming, then we've made a mark in our world today. And Paul simply says to the church, God has already provided every blessing that you need in Jesus. 
So I just want us to, to just roll quietly in our hearts for just a couple of seconds, because we're almost done. Just to ask ourselves who we are. And you're going to probably start with your name. Lord, Peter Fable. Pastor, father, believer, husband, friend. All of those are good things. But 75 times Paul reminds us that our identity comes not in those things, but in Jesus. We've lost family members. We've gotten the pink slip. We've gotten the hospital bill that took every penny that we had. We've gotten the medical diagnosis that shocked the world in regards to our health. We've had friends betray us. We've had literally life come at us from every circle like Job. And literally felt like everything has been taken away. And then we're left wondering, what do I do? Where do I go? Who am I? What's my life about? And Paul just simply seems to be reminding us that at the center of who we are as believers today is about Jesus. And it all begins in him and ends in him. I don't know if we have the whole worship team here. I went long, so can you do the song without one of your members? All right, we'll get you you ready, and I don't know if... Someone can be a runner if they need to to let Rebecca know that we're ready for her. Um, if not, then we can then we can go on without it. But let's uh, let's pray and and give the Lord a minute to get us all gathered together. Lord, I thank you for the Book of Ephesians, and I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we're going to have this week to and the weeks to follow, just to to again just focus our hearts and minds into one place in the Scriptures. And Lord, there's so much there about your love and your plans for us and the purposes that you've had and, and will have for us. And, and Lord, we're going to be fighting these messengers in our minds. The messengers of the world is, are going to tell us that it's found in things and people and places and events and plans and, and things of this earth. And the Bible reminds us, Lord, that the, the things that form our identities come in Jesus. They're in the heavenly realm. And God's provided every blessing that we could ever need. It's literally right underneath our feet or in our hearts, waiting to be discovered as the Holy Spirit reminds us of these things. I pray, Lord, for the culture that we live in today that is so desperately looking to pleasure or to possessions or to people to form its picture of What is a happy life? What is a successful life? Or what is a good personality or a good person? And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to be reflectors of that image, to be mirrors of the image of God by the way that we talk and live and journey through this life together. And Lord, we just pray uh, pray your blessing upon us. We would hear your word, uh, receive it humbly, uh, be a blessing to others and follow you in every way. And Lord, bless, Lord, this song that we sing together, worshiping you. Let's stand together as we worship.